You're listening to Feral Attraction. Hosted by Metrico and Vera the Science Collie. On this week's show, we open with a discussion on Milo, the University of Wisconsin, and covert transphobia. Our main topic is on fairness versus equality. We discuss the balance of responsibility in relationships and how to make sure that everyone is contributing positively. We close out the show with a question on whether giving up unreciprocated sexual desires will make a relationship better. Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. And with us again this week for the second week in a row is our guest Rhythm Fox. Yep. Hi. So, you know, this being the season of the holidays, the holiday season, the time of sharing and love and warmth, we wanted to open the show with a discussion on hatred and bigotry, because (laughs) why not? So there's been a story circulating, and, you know, I did get a little bit of feedback from people saying, don't feed the trolls, don't feed the trolls, don't feed the trolls. But we do want to talk about this troll in particular. Uh, We're talking about Milo. Um... He is a tech writer for the website Breitbart. Um, he's a notorious conservative, we'll say, I don't, I don't want to call him a pundit because he's not smart. I don't want to call him a <laughs> critic because he's a jackass. Um, we're just going to say that a, a conservative edgelord. Um, <laughs> That's a good description. And he's been... Going around, uh, in case you're not familiar with him, he's uh, from England, and he kind of rose to prominence through uh, his contributions to Gamergates or being banned from Twitter for, um, well, we'll say racism. Um, he's kind of an odd darling of the alt-right movement uh, for being a gay man who says things against the gay and trans community. And he's been going from college to college around the United States on what he is calling his uh, dangerous faggot tour. And um, just, I guess, as a heads up after, of course, I said that, um, we're, we're, we're not going to censor things, unfortunately, for this. We're going to, if there's a quote, we're going to quote verbatim. So Milo, uh, a few weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, was at the University of Wisconsin at, I believe, uh, it wasn't Madison, it was Milwaukee. Right, the lesser-known University of Wisconsin campus. Uh, and he, being yeah. in Wisconsin, I can point that out. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually did He did make fun of Madison for being a bunch of, uh, you know, um, crybabies and triggered shitlords, things of that nature. But while he was at the University of uh, Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin and Milwaukee, uh, UWM, um, he did have a lot to say about a member of the community there. Um, there was a, and I say was because this person not bearing the lead uh, after this incident uh, left the university. Um, very, 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 uh, we'll say early in his talking, uh, in his in his lecture, if we want to say in his presentation, he pulled up a picture of a trans member of the university community. Uh, This was a picture taken from a uh, interview that the student was giving. 
And it was fairly early in the student's transition. And during this tirade against trans individuals, uh, he pretty much had a lot of hateful things to say from, you can tell that this person is failing uh, because I still want to fuck him. Uh, There was a lot of misgendering going on. And really remarkably, what he was saying was that this trans student was trying to use the government as an attempt to get into women's locker rooms. Um, It's the news story from about a year earlier was that the student was able to successfully petition to be able to use the women's locker room, the uh, women's sauna, things of that nature. And what Milo was saying was that this individual, this, this trans student was a sexual predator. And that's really not, you know, in keeping with any kind of fact. Now, a lot of students at the university campus, they did petition way in advance saying, we do not want this speaker here. The speaker was brought in by the conservative student group, um, presumably paid for with funds that they are allocated from the university. And a lot of students didn't feel that it was appropriate to have him, the Milo, come and speak to their campus based off of previous college stops where he said a lot of incredibly insightful things. He called women cunts. He, um, I mean, if the name of your tour is the Dangerous Faggot Tour... You know, that that kind of has a lot to say about the kind of message that you're going to be sharing. Now, let it be known, you know, it's it's I'm not perhaps the most politically correct individual. It's I grew up in the drag kind of circuit, and we say a lot of things that might make people, you know, look twice. But political correctness has never killed anyone. And I'm not lashing out at him for saying the word faggot about himself. I am lashing out at him for you know, we'll say transphobia, and also the fact that he has on numerous occasions called out gay members of the faculty at various other campuses and said, oh, well, he's nothing but a fat faggot. And that's not really appropriate, but we want to talk more about the trans issues. Yeah, like kind of to the same point, I was going to point out that Dan Savage has styled himself very similarly using faggot, but in a very different way. Uh, generally speaking, when people use that word and, and kind of to reclaim it, they're using it in order to rob it of its ability to be hateful. Whereas uh, the way Milo is using it is actually kind of to redirect the hate, right? He's using it as a smokescreen in order to, uh, to basically enable himself to be hateful. Whereas, you know, someone like Dan Savage or someone like, you know, members of the drag community using things like tranny in a kind of imp- enabling and empowering way, that's a very different sort of usage of a word and to, to reclaim rather than to, as a smokescreen to enable more hate, right? Well, to be fair, the drag community, we have moved away from using tranny um, as an identifier. Uh, Not everyone that, has. I mean, there are still a well, few people who still want to try to reclaim it. And there's, that's a bit mm-hmm. contentious, I think, too. It, it's a highly contentious topic as a whole, though. I mean, in my opinion, we, we there are so many other words that we can use than tranny or ladyboy or anything like that. Generally speaking, it's I don't think that people... You know, if you're part of a community, I think it's completely fine. If you're transgender and you want to be like me and my trannies, like, that's cool. But, like, it's a little bit odd for me to use 
words that are also used for sexualization. I, I don't like calling people, you know, words that you type into a search browser to pull up porn for. I mean, unless it's twink, because twink is a fun word. The context <laughs> that Milo is using faggot, um, the dangerous faggotor, is almost virtue signaling. It's him saying, the left doesn't like me because I'm a gay man that is a free thinker. I'm a dangerous faggot to them. And that's basically his entire platform. He's His entire, we'll say, mission statement is to be as anti-progressive uh, as possible because he views feminism as a blight. He views any progressive values towards the LGBT community to be completely and totally regressive. And he feels that, I mean, he calls Trump his daddy. So just, just bear that in mind. So <clears throat> what I would like to do is I'm going to read an excerpt from what he said at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, um, just to kind of put frame everything and put it into context. Now, we're going to try our best not to use the student's name. There might be some articles that we link that do use the uh, student's name in question. But for, you know, our show, we want to kind of give dignity. And it, it, you can report a story without reporting a name. So Milo puts up a picture of the uh, trans student on a projector screen. And uh, he says, I'll tell you one student that does not need to man up, and that is this student. Do you know about them? Have any of you come into contact with this person? This quote, unquote non-binary trans. You're not laughing now, are you? You know him. This quote-unquote non-binary trans woman forced his way into the women's locker rooms this year. Who knows about this story? Any of you? Um, there was some laughter in the audience. I see you don't even read your own student media. He got into the women's room the way liberals always operate, using the government and the courts to weasel their way where they don't belong. In this case, he made a Title IX complaint. Title IX is a set of rules to protect women on campus effectively. It is couched in the language of equality, but it's really about women, which under normal circumstances would be fine, except for how it's implemented. Now it is used to put men into women's bathrooms. I've known some passing trannies in my life. Trannies, you're not allowed to say that. I've known some passing trannies, which is to say transgender people who pass as the gender they would like to be considered. Uh, he points up at the picture. Well, no. There's more laughter. The way you know he's failing is I'd almost still bang him. It's just... A man in dress in it. It's just a man in a dress. I should reapply my lipstick. So, this is vile. I mean, we could just go out and say this is incredibly vile. This is not in any way, shape, or form what... Nobody should really carry themselves in this way. I find specific irony in the fact that they are... That, that Milo, who, for the record, has no voting power in America, yada, yada, yada... It's there's a certain group of the alt right who despise the fact that liberals use the government in order to get their way, but it's an odd irony in the fact that that's the exact same thing that they do. Oh, they don't like abortion, so they're going to use the government to ban abortion. They don't like gay marriage, well, they're going to use the courts to ban gay marriage. They don't like, you know racial rights, they're going to use the court system to gerrymander. I mean, it's 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 the Republican Party, and by that I mean the alt-right party, if we want to call it alt-right, if we want to call it the Tea Party, have a history of using legislative 
and judicial power in order to get their way. So there is a specific irony in that, and there's a specific irony in invoking Title IX, which the alt-right has essentially come out to condemn, along with affirmative action. The fact that he is using Title IX as a way to virtue signal, saying it's used to protect women, but look at what it's doing now, is utter bullshit. And it just goes to show that this individual is a troll. This individual is an edgelord. And he delights on pointing out the fact that he supports women. He just doesn't support fake women. And it's bullshit. And I think, you know, the bigger irony here and kind of the reason I first suggested the story to you is something that I think is a bit of a, a real problem that needs to be addressed and I think everyone needs to be aware of. And that's the idea of harassment and hate speech masquerading as free speech, right? Because the argument that the student group, the conservative student group on campus made in order to bring Milo to campus and that uh, campus uh, administrators then basically uh, backed up when they were challenged by uh, other groups on campus who said this is not appropriate to be bringing Milo here using uh, campus funds to do so. Uh, the issue is that his, you know, they argue that, you know, it's free speech. He's allowed to say whatever he wants because, you know, we're we not going to uh, ban him from coming to campus to give a talk just because he, you don't agree with him. And that's entirely missing the point because the content of his speech is not uh, a political opinion that is defensible in any way. It is, in fact, hate speech, and it is, in fact, not only harassment, but as we could see from him putting up pictures of a student and naming them uh, and calling them, you know, basically, you know, mocking them and, and essentially inciting violence against them, uh, that is really not okay because you're, you're, that's, you know, slander, which is not protected speech. It's harassment and it's hate speech. So this is really, none of these things are okay. And the courts have ruled time and again that these things are not protected free speech. It's essentially the equivalent of screaming fire in a crowded, uh, you know, theater. You know, there are certain things, even given free speech, that you're just not allowed to say. Things that are slanderous, things that are injurious to someone's character or reputation that are untrue, harassment, hate speech, and uh, hate speech, especially with the intention of inciting violence, which he came darn close to during his talk. So uh, it's really important to distinguish these things and to not to, to realize that free speech doesn't mean that he needs to be able to say whatever he would like if, as long as it's you know hateful. And also, last point, free speech is protected in the sense that you're allowed to say things. N nothing about free speech uh, enables you to have any platform you would like. There's no reason that the university needs to prop him up and give him a platform to speak these things, especially if they are reprehensible as they seem to be, and not in keeping with any university's policies on harassment, for example. Uh, the student actually, in a response letter, which was addressed to the university administration, pointed out that if any student had given that talk, they would have likely been expelled or, or sanctioned because of the content of the speech based on the university's own uh, policies. But bringing in a speaker to do so is apparently okay. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the issue that I had with it and why this was particularly maddening to me is because this is all kind of trumped up as free as, as a free speech issue, which is clearly not uh, what was really at play here, right? It's actually interesting that you mentioned that because I do want to talk about the chancellor of the university, uh, Mark Moan. Uh, Mark, who is the chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. The day before the speech was scheduled, he sent out a campus-wide memo 
And in it, he said, there are opportunities and challenges ahead for many of us, including how we choose to respond to a provocative and controversial speaker who will be on our campus this week as part of a nationwide college tour. Whether you opt to hear the views of Milo or not, supporting free speech is one of UWM's core values. As a public university, we will always be a forum for the free exchange of ideas, even if some of those ideas are disagreeable, controversial, or in conflict with the university's other values. Permitting such an event to take place on campus, however, is not synonymous with support for or endorsement of the event's content. And as members of this university, we have the opportunity to rise above a message that we strongly disagree with. Instead, we can focus on how to respectfully bridge the divides that face us and come together as the open, tolerant, and inquisitive campus that we are. He then references the guiding values of the university, the mission statement. These mission statements were adopted, I believe, in 2012-2013, and they were drafted by the faculty and staff. And the statement, if you wanted to say, is that the University of of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, their guiding values are a system to develop human resources, to discover and disseminate knowledge, to extend knowledge and its application beyond the boundaries of its campuses, and to stimulate society by developing in students heightened intellectual, cultural, and humane sensitivities. Uh, they, go, they, 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 they talk about wanting to educate people and to, and to improve the human condition. By that's, promoting- that's such a re- remarkably tone-deaf letter, right? Like, holy yeah. crap. <laughs> And what's great is nearly immediately after the event, another chancellor update went out to the campus. Milo spoke tonight. I've spoken with some students and others who have opposed his appearance and some of them protested tonight. I understand and appreciate their concerns and perspective. We're going to stop there for a second. We're going to take, we're going to go back a few days and we're going to go to students trying to go to the chancellor to protest Milo's appearance. Now, I'm reading a lot of reports. I'm not able to necessarily confirm this, but what I am hearing is that students did try to go to the chancellor. They went with petitions. They went to speak. They went to protest. And he contacted the police to have them removed. So, (laughs) immediately after, he gives an explanation. His stop at the university was sponsored by a student organization, we as a university are prohibited by law by restrict to restrict access to its facilities based on the viewpoint of a student organization. Free speech is one of our core values, and I will support students' decisions to bring a wide array of away. Again, I'm speaking like Elmer Fudd, a wide array of speakers to our campus, even if the speaker is controversial, and even if I disagree with him or her. One of the core tenets of public universities is learning about the world by communicating with people who think differently than we do. I would not deprive students or our community of opportunities to hear diverse viewpoints. That being said, I do not agree with my Lucy's and I strongly condemn the belittling of others and their appearance. I will also not stand silently by when a member of our campus community is personally and wrongly attacked. I am disappointed that this speaker chose to attack a transgender student. So we're going to, uh, we're going to just kind of, put a pin in that. I want to talk about bridging the gap because he does go on in this letter to say, we can choose language that bridges gaps and heals. When we talk about bridging divides and bridging gaps, especially when it comes to political or ideological differences, this country has a very wide schism in it where 
liberals and progressives and conservatives and we'll say the alt-right all kind of, there's no attempt to meet at the middle. And when it comes to human rights, when it comes to the ability for people to live life as freely as they can, it is clear that there is no intention for the alt-right, for the conservative movements, to really try to meet anywhere in the middle. For them, it's legislation about bathrooms. It's legislation about that, that masquerades as protecting women. Which, again, is ironic to me, because they tout time and time again that protected, we'll say, minority groups, uh, African Americans, gays, lesbians, trans individuals, women even, don't deserve or, or really require special protections because they're guaranteed protection under the Constitution which did a really great job for African-Americans at the beginning. So there's an odd history of a, of the conservative movement to try to tout anti-gay, anti-lesbian, anti-trans movements as pro-women movements. And they're not willing to bridge the divide. They're not willing to bridge the gap. They double down. When students come to a chancellor, when students come to an administration and they say, listen, this individual has said anti-trans things. This individual has said anti-black, you know, anti-black things. He's anti-minority. He hates uh, any kind of immigrant. He hates any kind of refugee. And you dismiss them by saying, if you don't leave my office, I'll call the police. You're not listening to what people have to say. You're not appreciating their concerns. You don't have to co-opt what somebody says. Free speech is free. That's one of the beauties of this country. But you can say, well, we're... If, if you're going to invite somebody who advocates for the belittling of a minority group, which he did in a previous stop in Delaware... He encouraged his uh, audience to say to to mock transgender individuals. He said nobody should be afraid of mocking a transgender individual. We have that link in the show notes too, by the way. When trans members of a community say this is an individual who inspires hate and fear in our community, do you invite them in? Do you say, well, I can't really say anything against a student organization. I can't really tell them no. I mean, the argument there is, at what point do you draw the line? At what point do you say, okay, well, if we, went, if we let Milo in, who is bigoted against the trans community, do we have to let a member of the KKK in, who is bigoted against minority groups? Do we have to let a member of Stormfront, the neo-Nazis, in to speak? You have to draw a line somewhere. Just because you have the ability to say what you want does not mean that you have the right to say it wherever you want. I believe you made that point earlier, Vero. Mm -hmm. This is a man, Milo, who has been banned from Twitter, who has been banned from universities, who has, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's staggering to me that when members of a community bring proof and say, this is a member of, you know, a movement who is going to make life difficult for us, who's going to make life hell for us here at your university. You need to not allow him to come. 
and you say, well, it's free speech. It's a kind of covert transphobia. It's a kind of covert bigotry where you kind of shroud it inside the the veil of free speech. Well, everybody has the right to be heard and we're an educational, you know, academic institution. So we need the right to hear other points of view. You can hear those points of view. You can go on YouTube. You can read his articles on the website that he writes for Breitbart. You can read his blog, go to his website. There are ways that you can engage in intellectual discussion of a person's viewpoints without having to invite them onto the campus. If we were unable to do that, then why are we talking about Greek philosophers? Because they're dead. We can't invite Plato to a goddamn university. He's dead. (laughs) If you can have academic discussions without having the person there, then there's no need to invite somebody that's hateful there because you know exactly what's going to happen. You know that there's going to be a protest. You know that he's going to rile people up. You know that he's going to say hateful things. He didn't just attack trans people, by the way. He attacked gay people. He attacked fat people. He attacked men, women, people of color, refugees. He attacked members of the government. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that when you cash all of that in the guise of free speech, and you give them space in the university... It doesn't matter if it's a student organization or if it's a member that you guys brought in as some form of symposium. Your university does co-opt this as a sponsored event. And you as a chancellor can sit by and say, well, I will not stand quietly for this. This is the only thing that you've had to say about this, Mr. Moan. This is the only time that you've ever said anything about this. You can tout the fact that your university has an LGBT center, and it's great. But you're leaving out a lot of trans people. People have been leaving this university. The trans member in question wrote an open letter, sent it pretty much to everybody, and then said, I'm washing my hands, peace out. This is unacceptable behavior, and it is disgusting that it's being supported by members of the college administration as a free speech right. That's not really the way that it works. And the other you know, major issue here, of course, is normalization of these types of views, normalization of hate speech as free speech. And it's really not okay to be doing that. That's, I think, what I think uh, Chancellor Moen's biggest problem is, is he's being completely tone deaf and not realizing that he's normalizing hate speech and normalizing uh, you know, targeted harassment and, and violence against trans people which is not okay to do, and that's not free speech. It just isn't, and it, like, it infuriates me that he can't see the difference. I don't understand how this person got to be a chancellor of a university right. without learning the basics. Like, this guy needs to be removed. But, mm-hmm. you know, that, and hopefully as a result of the, the horrible fallout and attention this is getting, maybe he will be, because this is a huge black eye for the University of Milwaukee, uh, and uh, sorry, University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it really needs to not be a thing. I can't believe that he's getting away with this type of complete buffoonery as chancellor of the university. But I think uh, we should probably move on to our main topic unless we've got anything else to say. About one this. more point. One more comment? One more go point. <laughs> I'm going to go back to bridging the gap. Sorry, I know we're talking a lot about this, but this is something that I feel very deeply about, you know, coming from a political background. Everybody on the right is talking about bridging the gap. All of the alt-right individuals. We need to unify as a country. Even 
Mr. Moan, Chancellor of University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, said we need to bridge the gap. This is what bridging the gap looks like to the alt-right. This event at uh, UW-Milwaukee uh, was on December 13th. The letter was sent out December 13th. On December 15th, Milo appeared at Minnesota State University, in which he said, I've become a feminist icon. Do you want to know why? Well, at my previous date at UW-Wisconsin, I happened to put on the screen the image, a picture of a nice young man who thinks he's a lady and use the law because, of course, progressive always get blah, 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 to try to get into the women's locker rooms. This young man was desperate for a bit of tit and menge. Menge, by the way, if you're not English, is is uh, what they refer to. Uh, it's It's vagina. So he tried via the government to get him into the women's locker rooms. Now he's created a terrible fuss when I put his name up there and so did the president of the university. But it turns out he's going to quit, so I have become sort of a second-wave feminist icon. Now this young person, sometimes they think, sometimes they say I mean, sometimes they say it's too much. Sometimes they say you're too vindictive, it's too cruel. But the point of doing this, you know, they invoke the government, they use the government to get a variety of things through that ordinary, normal people would not permit. And then this person, you know, went to the press and said I had used violent words as though violent words were a thing. What the fuck is a violent word? If you can't take a joke, how are you going to deal with having your dick cut off? This is what bridging the gap is. You, if you are a progressive, have to become okay with this type of language. It's comedy. It's just a joke. People invoke Joan Rivers, people invoke Robin Williams, people invoke a variety of comedians in an attempt to normalize this kind of talk. And this is unacceptable. You're not bridging the gap if every time you move to the center, they move further away. And that's exactly what's been happening. And that's exactly what this individual is endorsing. And the fact that every event that he's been to has been standing room only is proof that he's not alone. Hold your ground. If people want to come to the center, make them move first. We cannot move on human rights. It is unfair. It is unethical. And quite frankly, it is wrong. Liberals and sexually uh, progressive people who really want to support, you know, open uh, openness, LGBT community, you know, sexual liberation, all of these things need to stop taking a stance of appeasement. When it comes to the alt-right, you cannot appease hatred and hatred is an, a kind of insatiable vacuum that is always going to try to get more and more until uh, it kind of just takes over. You know, uh, this is very dark stuff and you cannot appease this kind of darkness by trying to, uh, to, to move closer to it. That only encourages it to become bolder. And so we need to fight this and need to stand against it. And it has been a horrible mistake that hopefully is not repeated as the chancellor made to appease this type of hate speech. And I hope not to see that repeated too many times in the future. That's why I suggested to you that we talk mm -hmm. about it on the show is because I really want people to be aware of the fact that this type of appeasement is really wrongheaded. And I think that as far and wide as we can spread that message, we really need to, because appeasement mm -hmm. seems to be uh, the, the stance that a lot of uh, kind of central leaning, centrist leaning liberals are taking. Mm -hmm. And it's really not a good one. It, right. uh, it leads in a bad direction. So uh, hopefully going forward, people can, can be a bit more aware of this and not, not kind of kowtow to 
hateful alt-right speakers as if they were there to you know, give a speech in, in the same that anyone else would when their speeches are laced with this type of hatred. So uh, yeah. to definitely keep that in mind. Yeah. Having watched the entire video of this speech, it was sickening. And I don't understand why anybody would find this to be, we'll say, educational, informative, academically engaged conversation. It's gross. And we need to be more mindful of this moving forward because this is what is viewed as the response to political correctness. It's a complete reversal. It's a complete just but diarrhea of the mouth, say whatever comes to mind, be as hateful as you want, be as, you know, whatever you want. And they have to put up with it because, well, we put up with African studies. So we're going to move on because, again, this was kind of a heavy, longer top of the show topic. And I do, I'm not going to apologize for it because we have to talk about this. We're not feeding the troll. We're trying to call attention to it. We need people to be more mindful of things that happen. Yeah, I suggested to Metrica, like, mm-hmm. hey, we should talk about this. And you're like, huh, this seems really crazy. I have to make sure this is actually true. And I'm like, okay, go ahead. Well, it's not <laughs> It's not that I needed to make sure that it was true. It's I wanted to confirm because I'll, I'll be honest. When I see news articles that are printed in, we'll say, non-standard formats um, or – not recognize like I, I I follow a trend of political confirmation and journalistic confirmation. I need to see things at the source for me to really feel comfortable about discussing it. And everything was reported on the on the head, whether it was the president's calling the police on individuals, um, exactly what he said, previous cases, because I'll be honest, it's I knew that he was touring, I knew that he was being a dick. But I really didn't pay much mind to him because I figured, well, he's going to be, you know, just a dick and that's going to be that. I'm guilty of inactivity and monitoring hatefulness in this country. We're all guilty of it and we need to become more mindful of it. This is, that's not to say that, you know, you have to drop everything you're doing, quit your job and join a protest commune. It's to say that anytime that you see hatefulness happen. You need to call attention to it, and you need to tell people this is not okay. It's a lot like drawing lines in the sand. There are lines that have to be drawn, and there are positions that have to be held, because the second that you give an inch, historically speaking, people take a mile. And, uh, you know, if Milo's coming to your campus, let's say you're, you know, you're a student who's on one of these campuses where Milo's tour is scheduled to come. You know, raise these issues. Talk to whoever is in charge of campus programming or uh, your chancellor. Escalate it as far as you need to. Try to get this not to happen. Try and don't don't let Milo come to your campus if you have any ability to stop it. Because again, there's way too much evidence to suggest that he's just going to be giving hate speech, masquerading as free speech. So don't let that happen. That's why we wanted to get the word out, right? Right. right. So we're going to move on to our main topic, which is actually slightly slightly related. We're going to talk about fairness and equality. And what a lot of people, when it comes to free speech, they view free speech as, well, if you can say this, then I can say this. And that's not really the case. You know, if a police officer tells you like, (laughs) like you need to get out of the car, you can't just tell anybody that they can get out of the car. 
<laughs> there are, you know, limitations to what free speech has for you. Obviously, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Um, I mean, you could invite yourself to go to a, I don't know, you could, you could go to a meeting of, you know, gay individuals and start yelling out faggot, faggot, faggot. But the thing is, is that with free speech, you always invite a response. You always, it's, it's, you know, feral attraction is a great name because for every action, there's an equal reaction. And with free speech, it's the same thing. You can say whatever you like. That's your right. But nobody has to endorse it. Nobody has to listen to you. And nobody has to agree with you. In an academic setting, your words do carry weight. So you have to be mindful of what you're saying. You have to be mindful of the weight that your words say. Certain people carry different responsibilities when it comes to what they say. You wouldn't expect the president of the United States to be like, it's okay, just grab him by the pussy. But here we are. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, president-elect, president-elect. Um, in relationships, there's often kind of a struggle of, we'll say, power and responsibility as well. For a lot of people, they try to have a an equal relationship where everybody shoulders the burdens, the needs, the wants, the responsibilities, you know, on a level playing field. But we're here to kind of tell you that that's not necessarily the best option. Right. And naturally, we're feral attraction. We talk to furries. And as we always talk about, one of the kind of missions of our show is to talk about, you know, non-traditional relationships in particular, because they are uniquely enriched within the fandom. And there are a lot of people who are engaged in relationships that don't look like normal relationships, either because they're gay relationships or otherwise LGBT-oriented relationships, or they're polyamorous relationships, or open relationships, a lot of other stuff going on, right? So, you know, this fairness versus equality thing is definitely an issue for monogamous couples and, like, heteronormative relationships, for sure. But it becomes a much bigger and more complicated issue if you are in any kind of non-traditional relationship for a couple of different reasons. Uh, there's less of a template to go by. Because if you're in a gay relationship or an otherwise non-traditional relationship, you're not really able to just stick with the, you know, gender roles-based mm -hmm. kind of distribution of, of what, who's responsible for what, as, you know, heterosexual couples often default to is, you know, I, I do this, you do that, that's what's the way it's supposed to be, and we move on from this, not really conversation, right? A lot of assumptions get made. Not necessarily a good idea to do that either, but it is, there's at least a historical context for that. With gay relationships, open relationships, and polyamorous relationships, there really isn't so much of a default context. And so these things need to be negotiated and discussed. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important then to distinguish this idea of equality, which is what people often strive for. And that might we're going to kind of criticize that a little bit and question whether equality is really what people want. It's often what people think that they want, but rarely is it actually what they want. And when people try really hard to achieve equality, oftentimes doesn't leave anybody feeling all that satisfied. Everyone is sacrificing and nobody's really gaining. So we're going to talk about a different model that's based on equity and fairness. And we're going to define what we mean by those words soon because they all kind of sound like the same thing. And it's, it's kind of the, the shades of meaning are a little bit indistinct. So we're going to give you some definitions because as, as we know, again, from historically speaking on our show, we often encourage you to ask, what does that mean for you? because definitions are important. And when one person uses a word, they may not be using it exactly the way you think they are. So it's always important to ask. 
So, Matrico, what does it mean to you to say equality? Well, I mean, you know, we can go by the standard definition, which is what I try to do. But equality for me is everybody makes the same sacrifices in order to move together, you know, at the same pace. So it's... Yeah, the definition that I use is kind of <laughs> similar to that. It's basically, equality aims to ensure that everyone gets the same things in order to enjoy their, their lives, right? So it's, right. it emphasizes on sameness, right? Yes, it's it's very communal. It's it's very much so we all sacrifice, we all if we all make the same sacrifices, we should all gain the same. And it's it's the idea of, you know, sharing the yoke, you know. But as always that doesn't always work. Um in terms of equity though, which is when people say equality, a lot of the time they mean equity. And what equity is you want to it involves trying to understand and to give people what they need in order to enjoy a full healthy life generally that's going to be the platinum rule for relationships and really society at large a lot of people criticize equality and they lump equity in it uh, as well they are pretty much spelled the same it's just an al difference um they're a lot different. They're, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> for sure. And, you know, Magic, you referenced the platinum rule there. I think, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of a distinction that I like to make as well. With mm -hmm. equity, it's talking about the platinum rule. And the platinum rule is basically this idea. It's kind of an evolution of the golden rule, which mm -hmm. is what a lot of world religions and philosophies say is kind of like the moral, the basis of all morality, right? Is to treat others the way you would like to be treated, right? That's the golden rule. The golden rule is flawed, though. Because if what if the other person doesn't want to be treated the way you want to be treated, right? What right. if they want to be treated differently? And that's where the platinum rule comes in. The platinum rule says treat others the way they wish to be treated. Mm -hmm. And the focus is not – so when you're following the platinum rule, naturally you're going to be more oriented towards equity rather than equality. Because if you're focusing on the golden rule, that means what I want is what they want. Therefore, we can just divide everything in half, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a fair sacrifice. But if what I want isn't what they want, let's say that we have a, a, a pile of cookies and I don't have a big appetite. So I only want two cookies, but my friend has a really big appetite and they want six cookies. So if, if I was saying, okay, we got to follow the, the platinum, the golden rule, and I only want two cookies, that means I could be giving my friend two cookies, even though they want six cookies. And there's going to be a bunch of cookies left over, right? But if I'm following the platinum rule, I can give them their six cookies. I can take my two cookies. Everybody can be happy and nobody's really losing anything, right? Everyone's getting what they want. And so that's where we, we say that following the golden rule and striving for equality mm -hmm. can often leave both people not feeling as satisfied as they could be. And it doesn't really distribute resources in the way that they would best be used in order to make everybody happy. And so we want to kind of orient people towards the platinum rule, right? I mean, we can even go back to the top of the show for a second. If we talk about equal rights and equitable rights... So an equal right is that everybody has the right to use the bathroom. An equitable right is everybody has the right to use the bathroom of their choice. That would be, that's the difference. It's currently we're equal. If you were assigned male at birth, then congratulations. You get to go to the men's bathroom. It doesn't matter how you identify under equitable rule. If you identify as a woman, congratulations, please proceed directly to the shitter. It's it always a definition. It's always a battle of definitions. And it's important, as always, to understand the definitions. You know, equity often is malaligned. It's often misunderstood. But equity is truly one of the best models that you can base your relationship on in society in general.
Right. And again, if you're, if you're in an open relationship or a polyamorous relationship, mm-hmm. that becomes all the more important because the odds of all the people involved in the relationship having the exact same needs and wants gets exponentially lower the more people you add to the relationship, right? Like, let's look at my, my relationship, for example. I have certain needs and wants that Koji doesn't necessarily share because, for example, I'm a dominant, he's a submissive, I'm a top, he's a bottom. Um, I have different tastes in guys than he has, for example. Uh, I have, I'm in a different place on the introversion scale than Koji is. I'm slightly less introverted, he's slightly more introverted. So our needs for socialization and alone time are different. So those are, and those are just off the top of my head, right? But just, just with my husband. So if I was trying to do everything equally and we were, you know, I, that would mean that basically neither of our needs would, would be getting met because we'd be, you know, flip fucking, for example. And I, that's not going to work for us because frankly, I don't get much satisfaction from bottoming. He doesn't get very much satisfaction from topping. Mm-hmm. So we would just be like, okay, well now it's your turn to bottom. It's like, oh, wait a second. This is now either of us wants. Why are we doing this? Right. <laughs> but that's what equality, that's what equality would tell you to do. Right. We have to be equal. We have to be egalitarian. We have to be perfectly split down the middle. So that's how it has to work. It also means that we have to pay for everything equally. And, you know, like these are just things that don't really make sense. And if you look at them, if you examine them, but what it actually means, you can see pretty quickly that it doesn't really make sense. But surprisingly, I see a ton of people, and we get a ton of questions about this, of people who are striving for equality and failing at it and feeling like, oh, shit, I'm a terrible partner because they don't have exactly what I have. And that's just not a good model, right? So that's kind of a... A very, I, I don't want to really belittle people who think that way, but I think, you know, it's kind of a kindergarten way of looking at fairness, right? It's this idea mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I, I need my cookies and, you know, that's what's fair. It's, just, it's a very <laughs> small-minded sort of idea of fairness, right? And we right. want to take a much more adult, broad-minded idea of fairness, which is the idea of working to compromise and mutually sacrifice so that the majority of people involved in a given situation can be happy. Uh, and I, I think, you know, essentially that type of fairness is far easier to achieve from an equity point of view than from an equality point of view. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go through a bunch of examples from uh, relationships and the kind of questions we've gotten over the course of the show and common sources of conflict in dating that I think really can be brought into focus by looking at them from this idea of, of fairness and this idea of equity and kind of taking a, a new view on these issues that isn't quite so based on equality. Cause I think thinking of these things in terms of equality is where people get tripped up and it's what right. and it's creating a lot of the conflict in these, in these situations. Right. Yeah. I mean the, the whole idea, a lot of people have this, this idea that if everything is equal in a relationship, everything is going to be happier in a relationship and truly equal relationships tend to not always. I mean, they're they're more often upset than happy. Uh, there there's a lot of bad going on because nobody's getting their full needs met. You're meeting at the middle, but there's no high peaks. It's just a plateau. Or if in medical terms, it's a flat line. You don't want your relationship to flatline. Equity lends itself to fairness more often. In a fair, equitable relationship. You're not always going to get what you want, but an attempt is going to be made to ensure that if you have to sacrifice this, you know, we'll make sure that, well, okay, I'm not really comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable. We'll talk about sex and dating, for example. That's that's a main conflict that people run into. Super common. We get tons of questions about this. You know, and, and 
So let's say that you're in an open relationship or a polyamorous relationship or, you know, some some version of a non-traditional, non-monogamous relationship. And it could be that you are really interested in taking on a third and you're just, you're gung-ho for it. Sometimes your partner might be like, I'm not really comfortable with this. Or it could be, well, I don't, I'm not really sexually attracted to them. The equal solution, obviously, would be, well, you get to take a partner. So I get a partner and you get a partner and everybody gets a partner. I, we're the Oprah Winfrey of polyamory, <laughs> like poly Oprah And that doesn't always work. The equitable solution is I'm not really interested in this individual, but I know they make you happy. So go for it. And, you know, we can come together still and have good, fun, sexy time. People think that everything needs to be equal. You want it to be fair. You want it to be equitable and everybody to really get what they want and need as often as possible in that kind of a circumstance. Right. And this is something that I have a ton of experience with mm-hmm. both personally and also dealing with questions that we've gotten that I can yeah. actually, I can relate so much to these questions because it's, it's often a problem that people who are new to open relationships and mm-hmm. new to polyamory have, because again, they're trying to, they're so obsessed about equality. It's this idea that, okay, let's say that, you know, for, again, I'll take as an example, you know, look at a boyfriend that I might have, right? So let's say myself and my boyfriend to have just opened our relationship, right? And at this point, I decide, okay, I'm going to go find a partner. So I go and find a boyfriend, right? A, a secondary boyfriend. And my partner, my boyfriend, goes and finds a secondary boyfriend of his own, right? So now I've got a, bo- a new boyfriend who he doesn't see. And he's got a new boyfriend that I don't see. So we decided to go that route. We went for a fully open relationship where I, you know, and that from that perspective, things are okay, right? And we're both happy. Let's say it goes on like that for six months, right? Where everybody's happy, right? Now, let's say that my boyfriend leaves me for some reason. Maybe they found somebody else and they decided they wanted to be monogamous and that they, you know, the, the triad wasn't working for them and or whatever, the, the, or the V wasn't working for them. And so... They leave. Now, I'm thinking, wow, suddenly I'm being left at home when my, when my boyfriend is out on dates. I, I don't know what to do with myself. Well, it's not fair. It's not fair that I don't have a boyfriend. He's got a boyfriend. He needs to break up with his boyfriend because I don't have one anymore. So I go to my partner and say, hey, look, this isn't fair anymore. I don't have a boyfriend. Why do you, have a, why do you get to have an extra boyfriend when I don't get to have an extra boyfriend? And so I say, you need to break up with your boyfriend so that I'm not left alone, home alone anymore because I, I need to have somebody to spend time with. And you're my boyfriend. You need to do that for me, right? So that's an equality solution to that problem, right? Right. But it's not really fair or equitable. <laughs> and it's not, you know who it's least fair to? It's least fair, fair to my metamor, my boyfriend's mm-hmm. boyfriend, right? Because their relationship is now being terminated, not because they did anything wrong or because anything was going wrong in their relationship with my boyfriend. Their relationship was being terminated because I randomly that lost my boyfriend, something completely unrelated to them. They had no control, no say, no agency, no nothing. They're just told, hey, this person you, you really care about, you can't see them anymore because my boyfriend doesn't have a boyfriend anymore. There's nothing fair or equitable about, or equal even about that for that person. But getting, keeping it just to the main relationship, you know, the fact is I was okay with them doing their thing before I lost my boyfriend. There's nothing suddenly not okay about the relationship now that I don't have a boyfriend anymore. And frankly, I still have the ability to go out and find a new boyfriend for myself, right? I haven't lost the ability to have another boyfriend. I've only lost the one that I had, right? So I still have the ability to go out and do that. 
And if I'm trying to be fair and equitable, I would be more aware of that. And I would say, hey, I can go out. I, I might be dealing with a little bit of envy and jealousy right now because my boyfriend's got a boyfriend and I don't. But number one, I can still go out and find a new boyfriend. And number two, maybe at some point the situation re is reversed and I have a boyfriend and my partner doesn't. And then they're going to go through these feelings. And it's fair and equal in that sense, because even if we're not feeling it at the same time, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be, you know, relationship changes not for both of us, most likely over the course of however long we're together. Let's say we're together for 60 years, right? The odds of us having the exact same external partners the entire time are, are low. Maybe you'll get very lucky and someone will stick with you for that long of a time. But the odds are there's going to be at least a few relationship changes over that period, right? So you need to be aware of that and take a longer view. And that's how you achieve kind of the fair and equitable treatment of this type of open relationship or polyamorous relationship. But, so, you know, again, the equality perspective just doesn't really work in that context. Right. A common theme that we'll kind of explore in this equality versus equity is that equality is all about invalidation, where equity is about validation. If a relationship, you know, using the example of I have a boyfriend, you have a boyfriend, if I lose my boyfriend, your boyfriend is invalidated. Whereas equity is your relationship with your with my metamor is still valid. I just need to find my own. It's it's all about an equal relationship invalidates a lot of feelings, a lot of love, a lot of motivations, a lot of wants and needs. Whereas equity works to validate them and try to find ways to make them accessible. Right. Now, that example is pretty good. I've got an even better one for you, though. And this is one that comes up even more often. Uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about, and it's the same idea with the number of sexual partners. Let me add another uh, little complication. So let's say that we've opened up my relationship, right? Me, me and my like, different boyfriend. But we'll, so we'll say that I decided to ask you that. I'm just going to try again with a new person. So I got a new boyfriend. This new boyfriend is really cool, except they're super devoted and into me, and they actually have no desire to see other people. They're like, hey, Vero, I'm totally cool with you being polyamorous or you being a relationship anarchist, and you can see whoever you like. I, I trust you. I love you. I'm totally down with whatever you're doing. I know that you're always going to take care of me. I don't care who else you see, but I really just want to be devoted to you. I really just want to be devoted to you right now. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to see any other people. I just want to be devoted and uh, I'm not going to search outside the relationship for my own partner. And I come back and say, well, no, no, you don't understand. This needs to be an open relationship. If I get to go out and have another partner, you have to go out and have another partner. We can't, it's not going to work if only I have another partner. Uh, you need to go out and find your own partner. So I'm now telling that person, hey, your preference might be to just date me. But because I, I'm a relationship anarchist, I'd say, hey, you know what? You need to go out and find other partners too. You can't just be devoted to me. That's not going to work. That's not equal. So basically at this point, I'm now invalidating my partner's preference for being basically monogamous with me. And I'm saying it's not okay for you to be monogamous with me. You have to go out and find other people to fuck because I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. And so this is another problem. It's a, it's a certain sense of discomfort or an inability to acknowledge to yourself that you aren't able to have differences of desire, right? So maybe my partner is totally satisfied with just me and they don't need to go out and fuck other people. But I keep telling them that they have to because I want to do that. And so it's kind of almost like even a guilt-driven thing where it's like, hey, I'm going to feel guilty if I'm doing this and you aren't, so you need to do it too. And that's really not a good strategy because this person is telling you what they need and want and they're telling you what I need and want is already being met. And so in this case, I should be taking yes for an answer from my partner and saying, you know what, this is fair. You're getting your needs and wants met. 
I'm getting my needs and wants met by, by having other partners as well. And there's nothing wrong here. There's only a problem here if I make there be a problem here, right? And so by trying to shoehorn in equality, I'm actually creating a problem where none need exist. And that's a very common issue. We've gotten at least five or six questions at all on that theme of a kind of monogamous, uh, polyamorous mix and them not being able to work it out because there's this insistence that you need to fuck other people if you're going to be in a poly relationship. You don't. You can just have one partner and still be in a polyamorous relationship if that's all you want and it's what satisfies you and that satisfies your emotional bandwidth. Go for it. There's no problem there. Uh, Rhythm, do you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, I'd just like to say that equality can be surprisingly selfish, especially if you're using it as an excuse to get what you specifically want. And then you're just telling yourself, oh, I'm just being equal, so it's fine and it's good. Right, yeah, exactly. So, if you want to talk a little bit more about that, because I think that's actually a really good point. Um, well, uh, can't really think of an example off the top of my okay, head. Okay, that's fine. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> I like letting Rhythm talk when he gets a chance because he's kind of a quiet Fennec. So yeah. whenever he opens his... Which is unusual for Fennecs, actually. But, you know... Be thankful I'm not screaming. Exactly. We have to make sure... That, be glad that he's not yapping and kind of pegging our, our highs here. Um, but yeah, that's a huge issue. Another one that comes up fairly often is with types of allowable sexual play. Uh, this comes down to things like uh, kinks and fetishes. It's again another issue that comes up a lot with people who are newly in open relationships where people get kind of uh, upset if like one person, for example, has a kink that the other person doesn't share. There can be an insistence that, you know, both partners explore the same kink, even if it's with other people, because, oh, you know, you can't be doing this if I'm not doing this kind of a thing. And again, that's an equality perspective. It's not really an equity perspective and it's not really conducive to a well-functioning relationship because maybe that person doesn't want that type of thing. Uh, and also... Uh, with people who are in uh, kind of bisexual situations or pansexual situations, uh, there are often issues surrounding the genders or sexualities of permitted partners as well. So, for example, in a bisexual relationship, it might be that, you know, I can take a, I can, like, if, if I'm the girl, I can have other partners who are girls. But if you're, and if you're, I have a male partner, the male's not allowed to date other girls, right? So I can be, I have to be the only girl because, and, and so that's, that's, that happens all the time. So, uh, like, it's really an issue where, you know, again, fairness versus equality. If the person is pansexual and they have an interest in all people equally, telling them that you can only date girls is not really going to be acceptable to that person, right? You need to be, be so you're focusing on gender and sexuality doesn't work for them because to them, they're not really seeing gender and sexuality. They're just seeing people. And so saying you have to restrict yourself based on these artifi art kind of artificial or uh, to what, what appears to them to be artificial sort of, uh, you know, labels is not really going to be fair to them because it's not looking at it from an equitable point of view. It might be equal if we, hey, we're both only allowed to date other girls but and we're not allowed to date other guys, but it's not fair because that person doesn't have the same needs and wants that you do. And so again, we have to apply the platinum rule in the situation and try to give that person what they need and want and not try to focus on what uh, just only you need and want, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a relationship with a uh, guy back in the day where he was bisexual and I'm not. And, you know, I, I will say that, like, you know, there was a slight discomfort, you know, from my perspective, at least initially. I'm like, well, I'm not really interested in girls and like, I don't necessarily know if this is something that I'm comfortable with. But, you know, just because you're uncomfortable with something doesn't mean that it's always wrong. It means that you need to take a second to kind of evaluate that per that position of yours. I was uncomfortable because I was kind of an idiot and 
I mean, I still am, but I'm less of one. And <laughs> for me, it, it was it was a moment for me to realize, listen, you know, a relationship, if it's going to be open, if it's going to be, you know, something where everybody gets what they need, well, you know, I need dick and he needs dick and vagina. So if we're going to have a truly open relationship, then that means that I need to be open to the idea that, you know, because as a top... I'm not really going to provide the pussy that he needs. So I need to be opening to him, open to him having, you know, that in his life. We did have, you know, specific rules around that. I mean, because there's no real interest in it for me. There, there was no real potential for a threesome or a three-way or anything like that. So that sort of was like, yeah, sure. You can totally like go out and have, you know, a girlfriend if you want, but I mean, I'm interested. I'm not really interested in doing anything more than being a metamor with her. And I would prefer it if you didn't have sex with her with me in the same room. And that was, you know, that was our compromise. And it worked out perfectly until he became a cheating bastard. So, um, <laughs> yeah, not everybody does that. Um, okay. PSA, not all bisexuals are cheating bastards. Just got to point that out. Uh, because I, speaking as someone who is somewhat of the bisexual persuasion myself and who doesn't cheat, I feel like I need to point that out because it's a very negative stereotype. So, yes, in this case, Metrico dated someone who was bisexual and became a cheating bastard, but that does not necessarily have to be the case. Just going to throw that out there. Um, but, you know, moving out of the sexual uh, realm and kind of expanding this into other areas like uh, in terms of spending – this is another area where this can be a huge issue in relationships. And we get a ton of questions about this too. The idea that of equality in like, you know, who pays the bills when you're out on a date uh, in the early stages of a relationship is a huge, huge issue. And like, you know, this is something that comes, comes up so often, especially with intergenerational relationships. And we talked about that a bit on our intergenerational relationships or campsite rule episode, if you want to go back and listen to that one. But let's say that I'm uh, a 40 year old and I'm dating a 20 year old. Okay. And so I might be very advanced in my career and I'm making a lot of money. Maybe I'm making six figures because I'm like, you know, pretty far along in a professional track. Maybe I'm a doctor or a lawyer. So I make a really good income and I'm dating a 20 year old college student. So is it, is it really fair for me to expect that college student to contribute equally to the bills when we go out on dates? I would say no. Some people would, you know, want to say, okay, you need, we need, we're going to go Dutch. We're going to, you know, we have to be equal. There can't be any kind of power differential in this relationship because that would, you know, be coercive. So when we go out to eat, we all need to split the bill equally. Well, what if I want to go take my, you know, my partner out to a five star restaurant for their birthday? Does that mean that I have to, you know, let them split the bill? And, and even though they can really, like, it's an astronomical bill and they can't afford it, even though I can, I don't think that's fair. It's not really, and it's, it might be equal, but it's not fair. And that's, again, where this idea of equity needs to come into play. And the way that I tend to approach these types of uh, situations is actually based on the ability to pay. So what I would recommend from an equitable point of view for how you should split the bill in that sort of situation is, let's say, you know, if your partner is comfortable discussing their income, they can uh, go ahead and, like, tell you that. Let's say that maybe they're only making... $20,000 a year through a combination of, uh, you know, some freelance art they're making and a work study job. Mm-hmm. And I'm making $100,000 a year, right? Or let's say I'm making, we'll make it easy. Let's say I'm making $80,000 a year, right? So now they're making one-fifth of the income and I'm making four-fifths of the income taken between the two of us, right? So if I'm out on a date, it would be fair for me to pay four-fifths of the cost of the date and them to pay one-fifth of the cost of the date. And the way that I often handle that situation 
is, and it works out pretty well based on the numbers. I'll buy dinner, you pay the tip, right? And now everyone's contributed. Everyone's kind of made a, 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 a contribution that they would feel comfortable making based on their ability to pay. And everyone's okay. And we're, I'm getting to go out and have the more expensive dates that I'd like to go on because I can afford them. And my partner still gets to feel like they are contributing without it breaking the bank for them or making them feel like they are getting uh, kind of just schmoozed in terms of all this money being poured into them and they're not make, being asked to make any contribution. So it prevents there from being a weird power dynamic that's not mm-hmm. really consensual. And it also uh, helps there to feel like everyone's contributing in, in a way that they can afford. So I think splitting based on ability uh, to pay is a way, makes way more sense than going Dutch. Uh, and it's kind of funny because the Dutch are really good at this whole idea of equity and they're actually a pretty <laughs> advanced uh, socialist society. But apparently going Dutch means uh, being uh, equal, which is totally doesn't work, but kind of a weird quirk of uh, colloquialisms, I guess. <laughs> but yes, I, I strongly recommend paying based on ability to pay rather than equal uh, equalness when it comes to dating. Do you have any input on that, Metrico? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's the holiday season and there's a classic holiday story, the gift of the magi or magi, however you want to pronounce it. It's magi. But um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's the idea of people sacrificing their time. And it's kind of like a story of the greater fool where you know, somebody is like, okay, the husband is like, okay, I want to work really hard in order to get my wife this gift that she really wants. She has really pretty hair, so I'm going to get her a comb. And then the wife is like, okay, my husband is really, you know, really wants this thing, this this watch. So I'm going to cut off my hair so that way I can sell it to get money for the watch. And so it's this tra- it's 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 this comedy of tragedy where you know everybody's working to get something for somebody else but they're sacrificing what they're getting in exchange for what they're giving and it's this it's this wonderful little parable of like open communication and making sure that you know people feel that their contributions regardless of how large or small are valued there's this mistake you know and we've touched on this already But there's this mistake that if you are going on dates and you're making, again, the 80,000 and your partner's making the 20,000, you're like, okay, well, when do we go out? We only eat out at the fanciest restaurants. So today we're having a $500 meal. And then tomorrow we're having a $500 meal. And today I'm paying and tomorrow you're paying. That $500 (laughs) is far less... You know, that's far less of a percentage for you than it is for your partner. That could be an entire, that's like two paychecks for them. So you can't really hold people on an equal level in that capacity. You can't expect, okay, well, we live in a house that the mortgage every year costs $40,000. Good luck, buddy, because if we're splitting that down the middle, every paycheck is going to the mortgage. But you also have to pay for dinner and dates. And it's like, whoa, hold up, hold on for a second. You know, equitability works, again, so, so much better in cases where that happens, because it's all about making sure that everybody feels like their contributions are valued. Okay, well, don't worry about it. So I'll take care of the mortgage, but, you know, why don't you take care of the electric? You know, that's a common way that people split it or... Okay, well, I'll take care of the mortgage. Um, And maybe you take care of all of the bills, but why don't you take care of the housework? You know, maybe you could cut the yard. Maybe you could make sure that everything's dusted and tidy. You know, you find what works for your relationship because 
ultimately, you want to make sure that it's not just you, like, well, I provide for everything, and so your only requirement is to provide for me. Again, that's not necessarily a power exchange dynamic that everybody signs up for when they enter into a relationship. <laughs> so, Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that I'll point out here, too, when you expand this from just the dating phase to like the living together phase and talking about the equality versus fairness thing, this is a very easy place to start developing resentment. And it's one of those things that often isn't discussed because money issues are kind of taboo in this country. Yeah. And talking about finances and how much you make is often something people are afraid to discuss. So just get the fuck over it and tell your partner how much you make. Like it's kind of insane not to do that, especially if you're living together. So get the fuck over it and tell your partner how much you make. Like it's not yeah. a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, yeah, it doesn't need to be a big deal. Just tell them like, Hey, I make this and here's what, <laughs> here's what my ability to pay is. And you make that. And that's your ability to pay. I have these debts. You have those debts. Like just open your books to each other. And yeah. you know, even if you don't have, even if you're not going to have joint finances, even if you aren't going to have joint finances, you can still, you know, mm-hmm. be aware of each other's finances. So, you know, like what's reasonable for each other to be paying and what each other's obligations are. That's like a legitimate thing to do. And, you know, it's totally fine. Like, let's say your partner's out of work. And this has happened to me a number of times where like, I have a, you know, a, a mate who lives with me who's out of work. So for the short term, sure, I'll cover, I'll cover everything. But like, for me, the way that remains equitable is like, um, you know, they contribute to housework. They do other things, right? They, you know, they make sure that they're contributing to the household in some form or fashion based on their ability while they're looking for work. It's not that they, you know, I'm not going to resent them for being unemployed and they don't have to feel guilty about like, you know, being home with me while they're looking for work because we've worked out a system where they are still contributing in a way that makes me feel like everything is fair and okay. But if they were, if you approach that situation from an equality perspective, it's going to make the person who's unemployed feel like garbage because they feel like they can't contribute and they can't contribute equally. So they're not taking advantage of you. And so they're going to feel shitty about that. And you might feel resentful of the fact that you're, you know, putting out all this, you know, money for this person and they aren't pulling their weight. So again, if you take an equality perspective during those sorts of situations, it's going to lead to misery on both person uh, on both parties. Yeah. And it can often lead to the destruction of the relationship. And I've seen that happen far too many times. Mm-hmm. And it really saddens me because it feels so unnecessary because there's nothing internally in the relationship that's actually going wrong. It's all external shit and financial shit that's going wrong. And it really shouldn't drive people apart unless you let it. But a lot of people do let it because they are so obsessed with this idea of things being equal, especially financially in a relationship. And they're often handicapped by not even knowing each other's financial situation, which boggles my mind. There's no reason why you can't be aware of each other's financial situation. It's really absurd. You know, that always did confuse me. I mean, I, back when I was engaged, um, there was never a discussion of like finances in terms of what each party's take home was, that sort of thing. And so it seems kind of silly. And again, I understand that, you know, some people might feel embarrassed about the amount of money that they make, whether it's a lot or a little, they might feel that it puts them on an unequal unequal playing field. But again, it's this idea of people, a lot of equality, again, from the invalidation perspective, it comes from a position of ego. And with a relationship, you have to have integrity. Having an ego often gets in the way of the success of the relationship. It gets in the way of the equitability of the relationship. And so it's important to have discussions about, okay, well, I make X amount of money a year. I You might even go like, I'm salary, I'm hourly. These are the benefits that I get. Because if you're going to settle down and have a life together, 
You might want to share those benefits. You might want to make plans for the future together. You might want to consider buying a house or any sort of thing that requires financial contribution should be a mutual decision. Anything that requires you guys putting money together should be a mutual decision. And you cannot be informed if you're like, oh, don't worry about it. I make more than enough or don't worry about my credit score. It's good. Discuss specifics. Discuss the things that are uncomfortable, perhaps. In American society, there's often a distaste for having these discussions. And we kind of need to get over that. Yeah, until you two mentioned that in this episode, I actually didn't really know that it was common for relationship partners to not share their incomes. <laughs> like, why would you not do that? I know. For people who are logical like us, and this is why Rhythm and I get along, is because we're logical people. But for people who are driven by societal expectations and mm-hmm. kind of emotional reasoning, it, it really is a weird issue that people run into all the time. And it's <laughs> yeah. unfortunate. It's really unfortunate because it, it is Ill- illogical, right? It doesn't make sense, but it's just it's based on historical precedent and a lot of other factors like that. So keep that stuff in mind. Um, but, you know, we mentioned uh, household chores earlier in the context of, you know, if someone's unemployed, yeah. maybe they contribute to the chores. But this is often, often, uh, often also an issue in terms of the equality versus fairness thing. And this can come down, especially in like polyamorous relationships and pack houses, and even often in monogamous relationships, mm-hmm. an issue of, you know, I cleaned the sink yesterday, so it's your turn to clean the sink today, right? But maybe... For you, cleaning the sink isn't that big of a deal, but maybe I have really severe mold allergies, so getting really close to a drain that has mold in it is going to actually make me feel sick. So for me, like washing the sink is actually a huge sacrifice, or cleaning the sink is a huge sacrifice, whereas for you, it's just an inconvenience and it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So demanding that I clean the sink as often as you clean the sink doesn't really make sense, right? Because it's a much bigger sacrifice for me than it would be for you. So maybe the compromise there is I clean the countertops and you clean the sink, right? So you always clean the sink, but I always clean the countertops. Right. So at that point, we've reached fairness and we've reached equity because I'm getting what I need and you're getting what you need. Maybe you don't like cleaning countertops very much because it takes longer. And I don't mind that it takes long because I can listen to a podcast. I just don't want to feel sick Mm -hmm. because I'm alert, have a mold allergy. Right. So that's a situation where it doesn't have to be equal. It doesn't have to be I do. We we take equal turns on doing everything. But maybe there's just a job, you know, list where you do these tasks and I do these tasks. Maybe. I balance the budget and I manage the travel and I do all these other things. And I do the taxes and you do the household stuff, right? Maybe that's how you break it up. And for me, that's actually much more similar to how my relationship works is Koji kind of likes being a little bit of a housewife fox and that's totally cool. And I really like managing the money and managing the travel and be doing the secretarial stuff and managing our calendars, like doing all that date, you know, the monthly budgeting, the weekly budgeting, the taxes, all that stuff, which he hates. He hates doing that stuff. So that works out for us because He's not doing anything he hates. I'm not doing anything I hate. And everything's getting done. That's equitable. That's fair. But it certainly isn't equal. I mean, we can even lift the veil on the show for a second. We could talk about, you know, what we do, the contributions that we have for the show. You mostly are in control of the advice columns. I contribute every now and then. We get guest contributions every now and then. And you manage the social media. You also plan conventions, you plan the presentations for the conventions, and you contribute, obviously, to the podcast itself as a whole. Whereas I'm more on the back end, and I control more of the making sure the podcast is posted on time and controlling where it's posted, 
controlling the way that we advertise, controlling the way that we're optimized in search engines, doing tracking and making sure that in terms of audience, we're advertising to the right demographics, things of that nature. We have a complete different distribution of work. And it works for us because these are areas that we excel in. You know, Vero is probably better at social media than I am. I still don't understand Facebook, and I probably <laughs> never will. Um, I, for, I don't understand why, first off, but so be it. Facebook's a thing. Whereas I'm better because of my work history with doing Google optimizations for searches and analytics and things of that nature. So we play to our strengths, you know, in a relationship, you know, that you might have a, you know, live with your partner, your partner might have a bum leg. They might have troubles walking and maybe it's not the best idea to make them cut the grass. Maybe it's not the best idea for them to rearrange the furniture. Maybe they're, you know, the way that you work it out is, okay, well, there are physical limitations. So what we're going to do is we're going to have you take care of the dishes. Maybe you can do like the cleaning and, in it, you know, I'll take care of like the heavier lifting stuff. I'll make sure that the lawn is manicured. I'll make sure that if we need to put things in the attic for storage, I'll take care of that. You know, there are ways that you can distribute work to ensure that everything gets done and one party is not unnecessarily or unwarrantedly overburdened. It's all about discussion though. And again, this comes back to the idea of ego there. It's very strange that people always want to take on things that make them look better, but they don't want to do anything that requires work. Housework chores, maintenance, things of that. They're not really that great. They're not that sexy. They're not glamorous. But it all needs to get done. You know, it, it's, it's, you, you see like sexy maid costumes, but you don't really see like, <laughs> you know, sexy like landscaper costumes, which is a shame. Ooh. I need a, I need a sexy costume for doing the taxes. Can I get one of yeah, those? Yeah, like sexy accountants, <laughs> you know, sex, sexy travel agents. Um, you, don't, you don't really see those things that are, you know, not sexy tend to not be fought over, but things that, you know, allow for you to kind of show off and be like, oh man, look at my skill. Look how awesome it is. You know, people tend to go for that. So it's best if there are areas that you really excel in and you really enjoy. Maybe your passion is interior design. So you're in charge of, okay, well, tell you what, I'm going to leave the house to you, the inside of the house, and I'll take care of the outside of the house. That's a fair balance. And we'll come together. Like, if you want to purchase this, we'll come together and we'll discuss, okay, well, is this worthwhile? Da, 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 da. Because we handle the finances together. Distribute work in a way that makes sense, in a way that isn't like, okay, well, you're doing all of this and I'm just jerking off. A common thing that we see is one person over-contributes because they want the other person to be happy. This is, equity is, again, not about everybody being happy. It's about everybody being the most happy. And if you're sacrificing everything so a person can play League of Legends 24-7, there's an issue with that. And if you're not happy, you need to discuss it. And if your partner says, well, this is the range, well, this has worked for now and it's worked up until this point and I'm doing pretty great, then you need to have a discussion about redistributing work responsibilities to make sure that everybody is the most happy. 
Right. So I want to bring up two really important things that I think you just touched on that are, I think, completely toxic and death to relationships. Right. And again, we get tons of questions that point this out all the time. So one is, I'm going to sacrifice and do and do and do stuff and take on all these responsibilities. And eventually my partner is going to magically notice that I'm doing all this stuff and they're going to start trying just as hard as I am. So the harder I try, the more guilty my partner is going to feel. And eventually they're just going to step it up and contribute like, and be an amazing partner. Right. That boat don't so I just keep, I just keep, man, I just keep mm-hmm. pounding it. Like I'm just going to keep working my ass off and eventually my partner is just going to get the message. Right. Or like, so that's one thing that obviously doesn't work. And number one, your partner might not notice you're doing that stuff. and might just wonder why you're like suddenly resenting them as you're like scrubbing the table for the 11th time. And they're just sitting there like watching TV. You're like, huh, that looks pretty clean, hon. What are you doing? <laughs> like, and they have no idea, right? <laughs> they have no idea because you're not actually communicating, yeah. right? You're, you're trying to use actions to communicate and that doesn't work very well. You needed to say, hey, like I clean the counter a lot of times lately. When's the last time you cleaned the counter? Like have that conversation. Maybe don't be quite so aggressive about how you word it, but like you can have that conversation, right? Right. Uh, but that needs to happen. It, it's even worse if you do this in a sexual sense. Oh my gosh. I see this create so many problems for people where, hey, look, uh, I'm going to like, I'm going to let you have like a billion sex partners. Okay. Thanks, honey. That's great. Hey, I, I don't want to go have a billion sex partners. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Who said you could have a billion sex partners, right? So mm-hmm. this is, this is an issue that happens a lot, especially with people who are like new to open relationships. This idea that, you know, I'm going to let you do something and that that's going to mean that I'm going to get that thing, right? But what if our needs and wants are different, Metrico? Like, for example, getting back to the example of the, the solo, the right. solo poly, uh, solo, like the monogamous person with the poly person thing, right? right? right. If the poly person goes, says, hey, you should go out and fuck a bunch of people because I want to go out and fuck a bunch of people. Um, that doesn't work. You can't tell someone, hey, just because you're fucking a bunch of people, now I want to be able to do that. Because again, maybe, for example, one person in the relationship has a lot of possessiveness to them and the other person is not, right? This is actually, again, lifting the veil. This is an issue that I tend to have in my relationships Mm -hmm. because I am a possessive person. I'm a top (laughs) and I'm a dominant and I'm very possessive towards my subs. This is something that I can reason myself out of. And if if a sub who is with me and is like, and wants to be my partner wants to fuck other people, I can talk myself into that and I can get, wrap my head around it and I can go there. But emotionally, it's still really tough for me because I do have this possessive streak to, my, to me. It's not something I can change. It's just kind of how I'm wired. So if a sub wants to have other partners, they do have to do that in a way that doesn't fuck with me emotionally all the time because I don't want to be fucked with because like I kind of deserve to be feel emotionally stable and not feel like mm-hmm. at any given day when I'm trying to get my work done, suddenly I'm being emotionally disrupted by someone doing something that I, you know, wasn't prepared for emotionally. Right. And that's just that, like, that's just something that I need. So that's what I tell people who want to be with me. It's like, Hey, look, we can have an open relationship. Obviously I have multiple partners. I'm polyamorous bordering on relationship anarchy at this point. So, you know, I'm going to have multiple partners. And it's also okay for you to have multiple partners. However, I have some needs and wants that you need to be aware of. Like I would like to be aware of the, the, if you're going to be having sex, I'd like to be aware of it in advance. I would like to know the context. If ideally I I might even get to like know the quality of the person just so I can wrap my head around it more easily. I'm not going to be emotionally shocked by it. I'm not going to be surprised by it in a negative way. And that's just kind of what I need from an emotional perspective. Right. But maybe my partner doesn't need that. Like maybe I'm with someone like Rhythm, for example, Rhythm is very chill. He's not like super possessive towards me. He's pretty much, he trusts me. He, he's down with whatever I'm going to do. Right. So he doesn't really need, need that. 
So like I, I still tell them because why not, right? But the point is we could have a relationship where our, my terms were basically don't ask, don't tell. And his terms were tell me before you do stuff. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that if it's what works for both of us, right? Yeah, that's how it. That's how we do it, and it does work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not really don't ask. Don't, I tell you everything I mean, anyway. Well, you do but, tell me things anyway. But I don't make an emphasis of telling you stuff in advance because you don't require that. Yeah, if you don't, it's not as important for you to for you to tell me what you're doing. Right. Whereas it is super important for me because I do have this possessive and protective streak, and you I do. and it, like I do like it's just, <laughs> it's there. I can't really do anything about that. It's who I am as a person. If you don't like it, don't date me. Pretty simple, right? So. And I'm just very upfront about that because it's like, you know what? It's going to look hypocritical, but it's not hypocritical. It's just I'm wired differently than you are. And we have to accept the fact that we're wired differently, right? Like it's totally fine to be wired differently. I have different needs and wants than you have. And we have to just accept and value those, you know, needs and wants equally. The fact that, you know, rhythm has a need and want to fuck other people. I have a need and want to not feel emotionally neglected or vulnerable when he's doing that. So we come to an accommodation where... We talk about it first, make sure that I'm okay with it emotionally, then Rhythm does what he's doing, and everything is a totally hunky-dory, right? So that works out pretty well. But you need to be able to be willing to have those types of conversations. It would be a horrible mistake if Rhythm told me, hey, Vero, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I fuck all these other people, you know, therefore, or, you know, I let you fuck people without telling me what's going on, therefore, our relationship needs to be equal, and I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing, because you don't, I don't require that from you. Again, that would work if we had the same equal needs and wants, but we don't. I need something different. So rhythm saying, hey, I fuck other people without telling you, or you fuck other people without telling me, therefore I should be able to do the same thing, doesn't work. And you can't force that because equality doesn't work in that context because we don't have the same needs and wants. We need equity, not equality. And for things to be fair, each of us need to have our needs and wants accommodated. And so our relationship where the terms are slightly asymmetric works really well. But you need to be able to discuss that with your partner and acknowledge, like really, just tell yourself right now, my partner's needs and wants are different from my needs and wants, and that is okay. We are not the same person. We are not clones. And that dump truck out there certainly has different needs and wants than I do. I have a need and a desire for quiet, and they have a need and desire to be loud as fuck. So I apologize for that. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I guess kind of like wrapping this subject up a little bit, you know. There are always going to be points where your wants and needs are going to be symmetrical. You Sometimes, know? sure. And asymmetry, you know, it's it's we're talking about the points where it's not. I mean, traditionally in a relationship, everybody wants everybody to be happy. You want security, peace of mind, and stability. You know, you don't need to be contrarian to have a relationship. You don't need to be like, well, nothing can match. Nothing can be the same. You're stripes and I'm polka dots. You know, you don't take that away. Like equitability doesn't mean that nothing can be equal. It means that we acknowledge the fact that not everything is equal. And it's about coming together on those points where, you know, equality is not going to cut it to make everybody feel more secure. And the examples that Vero gave, you know, it could be, that you need pre-disclosure for sexual encounters that your partner might have, and they really only require post-disclosure. Right. And that works. You need to find what works for you. And if you find out that the agreement that you came to doesn't work, you need to discuss it. You need to be... Oh, Mexico, that's the other point I was going to make, and I, that's perfect. It's like, return to these discussions. Uh-huh. You need to be able to... You need to be able to... Don't just decide, hey, this is this is what works right now. Maybe it's a chore thing. Maybe it's chore based. And you're just like, you know what? For right now, I totally, I'm totally down with always cleaning the toilet. 
But then maybe you discover, you know what? Actually, the chemicals in the toilet are totally destroying my hands. And so I don't want to do this every time. So your options are to silently resent your partner for an agreement you made a while ago where you decided that you were going to always clean the toilet and not tell them and just start hating the fact that it no longer feels equitable to you. Or you can have a conversation with your partner and say, hey, you know what? It's no, it no longer feels fair to me that I'm always cleaning the toilet. So we need to, re, we need to readjust our distribution of chores such that I'm not always being the one destroying my hands with these harsh chemicals, right? That would be an example where you need to have a new discussion. Same thing happens with a sexual thing. Maybe, you know, rhythm discovers, actually, I am getting starting to feel more possessive, Vero. I need you to tell me what you're doing beforehand because that's where I'm feeling emotionally vulnerable and insecure right now. And I, that now my need has changed and I need you to tell me what you're doing in advance. That's the discussion we could have if rhythm was feeling that way, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, you need to be willing to return and have those conversations over again. Be able to, it should be a continual living document. You know, this idea of like what your relationship terms are, it should always be a living document. You should be able to revise things as things and feelings change. You need to be able to go with the flow, right? Yeah. So, I mean, relationships are never meant to be static. And I guess like since this is, you know, outside of the question show that we'll be doing next week, spoilers, you know, this is really our last topic-based show of the year. And it kind of hits all the points that we wanted to for, you know, the year. We've hit, and we've mentioned communication so many times. It's been kind of the under, this is the year of communication. This is the year, 2016, we need to talk. Like, you and me, 2016. Because a lot of fucked up shit happened. We need to communicate more. We need to communicate more as groups, as cultures, as countries, as people, and in relationships. People are not static. The world is, there. there's there's a Greek saying, you know, pantaray. Everything is in a constant state of flux. No relationship is, if you were to, if you leave the house and you re-enter the house, it's technically not the same due to the fact that air has moved around. Nothing is always the same. You need to always communicate. Just because things worked yesterday and the week before that, Things might have changed. They may not work the same. Maybe your work commitments have changed. Maybe your education requirements have changed. Maybe what you need is different. And if you're not willing to communicate those needs, those changes, then what happens is resentment, bitterness, jealousy, envy. You start communicating less. And when you do, it's violent. It's angry. And you start hating everything. You start shutting out metamors if you're in a poly relationship, perhaps. You start resenting them. You start sabotaging your relationship. And ultimately, it ends in a few ways. You either cheat, you either quit, or you lash out to the point where your partner quits. You can try to struggle through, but you have to talk about it. That's really the other option. But if you're not willing to talk then, you're not willing to talk now. This is Feral Attraction Season 1. It's the season of communication. And it's going to be a constant theme throughout next year in 2017. Because Lord knows, if we needed to talk in 2016, we need to yell in 2017. (laughs) And we wanted to discuss this kind of as the last topic-based discussion of the year. Because life isn't always equal. Life never is equal. 
life also isn't fair. Everybody starts off with a dis different distribution, with a different setting, with a different hand. And relationships are about bridging those differences and coming together, whether it's two parties, three parties, four parties, more parties, to a common purpose of bettering each other so you can better the world around you, so you can make your lives happier, and in exchange, you bring happiness into the world. Relationships are never always going to be happy. They're never always going to be peaceful. There are always going to be periods of arguments, of disagreements, of resentment, of envy, of jealousy. But all of those can be forgiven. All of those can be discussed. All of those have to be discussed. If you're uncomfortable about something, you have to discuss it within the context of a relationship. If it's something you don't want to talk about, you need to talk about it. These are all things that we've said throughout the course of this year. And this is kind of the bookend for that. We want everybody to be aware of the fact that relationships are hard. And polyamorous relationships are even harder. And within the context of the fandom, you throw in another wrench. To be successful and happy in a non-monogamous relationship, you need to talk it out. Fairness, equality, equitability... These are things that you need to look at your own relationship with. Look at them through the different lenses. Figure out where you are operating now. And try to figure out where you want to be operating. Make plans for the future. If you're operating at a way in your relationship that is not sustainable, find a way to migrate to a more sustainable function. Changes cannot be done immediately. You can't just have one discussion and then everything's perfect. You have to have patience. You have to be willing to work with your partner or your partners. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with your partners. And be patient with the conversations. These things take time. And really, that's fairness and equality and equitability. I mean, anything else to add? Yeah, the last point I'm going to make is the one just to kind of vamp on what you just said. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea of uh, patience. And I think that's a hugely important thing, especially uh, if you're recently revising any kind of relationship terms you might have or any agreements about fairness or equality. Patience for the adjustment period is super important because oftentimes partners get very used to the way things are and the status quo. And even if they're intellectually okay with changing to a different relationship model or adjusting the distribution of chores or you know sexual openness or whatever the discussion might be, there's often an adjustment period where there are still some additional feelings to work through, some processing that needs to happen while you are adjusting to those new terms or that new agreement. And it's important for both parties to be patient with each other as that adjustment phase is happening. Let's say that you decide to open up your relationship. It's probably not the best idea to you know open up your relationship on Friday and then go to a sex party on Saturday, right? <laughs> <laughs> Give your partner a little bit of time to get wrap their head around it. Maybe... You know, say, hey, I started flirting with somebody. Hey, there's a sex party in a couple of weeks that I'm thinking of going to. Hey, look, this is the guest list for the sex party. Are these all people you're okay with? You kind of warm them up to it. Maybe you're not always going to be quite so diligent about making sure your partner is like looked after. But when you're just getting used to the idea, you want to be emotionally kind and considerate 
and sensitive to the fact that your partner is going to have some emotions about this and not just be selfish, right? Because the selfish thing to do is, hey, now it's legal in our relationship to do this. I'm going to go do it and fuck what my partner feels, right? That's a good way to do it if you want to be single because your partner is probably not going to stick around very long for that kind of treatment and emotional neglect. But if you'd like to actually be in a relationship that is, you know, loving and caring and where you actually demonstrate that you actually do love your partner, you want to look after their emotional state and say, hey, you know, just because I am able to do this now, my partner's finally agreed to let me see other people. I'm not going to go and do that to them instantaneously because that's emotionally violent to them, right? I'm going to let them warm up to the idea and pace myself so that they get a, ch a chance to warm up, right? That's really important to do. And the second point I'm going to make is, again, this idea of legalese with relationships, right? This, oh, you know, our relationship terms say that I can do this, therefore I'm going to do it. Even if you know, your partner's expressed to you some emotions they're feeling or a need to change their relationship terms or the fact that the current terms are no longer working for them or the fact that they're feeling some resentment or some feeling something negative. So once you get your partner's given you those warning signs of saying, hey, these terms aren't working for me anymore, you need to sit down and revise those terms and not just use that as a document as a, you know, to roll it up and start whapping your partner with it, saying, you know what, these are what our terms say. These our terms say this is okay, therefore it's okay. And you start beat your partner down with that rolled up relationship terms document until they shut up, right? That's not a good way of handling a relationship. Relationships do not do, do well with legalese and kind of uh, gamesmanship, right? You need to actually focus on the fact that what's important in the relationship is the people who are involved and the emotional state and the happiness and well-being of the people who are involved and not whatever agreement you arrived at historically. Because yes, historically that may have worked, but maybe it doesn't work anymore. Now you need to arrive at a new set of relationship uh, terms and you need to be open to the idea that those things are going to shift and be... And people basically are just afraid of change is often what the problem is. And you need to be okay with change if you're going to be in any kind of non-traditional relationship. Because frankly, whether you like it or not, you've already embraced change by doing something non-traditional. So you've kind of let, you've left the boat already of you know, stability and like normalness and relying on societal expectations. You're already, you already left that track. You're on the track of everything being negotiated at this point. So you need to be open to those negotiations because you're on the we negotiate everything track and you got to accept that, right? Relationships aren't meant to be game theory. They're not meant to be <laughs> ways that you can game the system to your advantage. A lot of people treat it like that, and it doesn't work. It's clearly not sustainable. You know, don't look at it as, you know, game theory. Think of it as, you know, a theory of yourself. You know, a relationship has changes just like you do, just like the world does. And you have to be comfortable with those changes. You have to think of it as a theory of love. And if you're unable to do that, then being single for a time is probably the best option for you. And before we hop into our question, which is actually very related to our topic and why I selected it for this week, I want to get, leave you with a holiday note of an application of today, this week's episode, if you're hearing it before Christmas. And that's, you know, people often fret about Christmas presents around this time of year. If, you know, how expensive of a present do I need to buy my partner? What are, Do I need to buy my partner a present? Do they need to buy me a present, right? So keep in mind this idea of equity and fairness when you're thinking about buying Christmas presents this year. If you don't make as much as your partner, they might be able to get you a more expensive gift than you can get them. And you don't have to feel guilty or bad about that. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? If I make five times as much as you make, I'm going to get you something that's five times as expensive. And that's okay. You know, gifts shouldn't really be about the value of the present anyway, right? But people often get really trapped, uh, kind of tripped up with those sorts of things. So just keep in mind this idea of equity when you're buying your Christmas presents, if you're doing any last minute shopping this year. And I mean, this applies to Hanukkah and Festivus and every other holiday celebration as well. Indeed. So. This is true. I, I kind of stopped viewing Christmas as being a uh, 
denominational holiday based, based on how this country treats it. But I, I do forget. It's, it's technically a Christian holiday, isn't it? Yeah, technically. Um, <laughs> and also Hanukkah and uh, Christmas overlap this year, so that's pretty cool. Um, I believe Hanukkah starts on Christmas Eve. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't really celebrate holidays, but don't tell anyone. But, you know, on that note, we're going to – we are going to shift – gears into the question because it is, you know, incredibly relevant to the topic at hand. Uh, the questioner uh, sent us an email and the email is me and my mate have been together for over a year and our relationship started quickly and with a sexual spark. I was top for the first few weeks and then we decided to try out being bottom, which then let us switch from one to the other, taking turns but not caring who spent more time doing what, but every time I've been getting less sexual advances of him wanting to bottom, and each time circumstance seems to have it that something doesn't go completely right, he either gets hurt or can't be ready or isn't in the mood. I found that it was far easier for us to have sex if I just went bottom all the time. It feels like I'm shutting down a part of myself and I feel like this could make things go worse. But each time we talk, he says he should be letting me top more, but it still happens less and less. We love, we both love each other and for who we are, not just our sexual attraction. What's happened to the sexual side of things? And I get the feeling I'm pushing my feelings down and that can be dangerous. I mean, it sounds like you just need to continue having that conversation. If you're not getting your needs met in terms of your sex, uh, your sex life, then it's an important discussion. And... You don't necessarily, again, like going back to the idea of legalese, you don't need to bring out a spreadsheet and like, on this time that I initiated sex, you said that you were not adequately prepared, therefore I had to bottom. You don't need to like bring up dates and times and videos, what what have you. You can talk in generalities about this and say, you know, more often than not, you know, whenever it comes time to have sex and I want to top, you say that it's not a possibility. And... You know, if I need, it's, it's, I need to have this kind of an outlet and, you know, our sexual habits. Right. So I agree with most of what you're saying, Matrico, but I think I'm going to push back just a little bit. Of but course. Based on the way this question is worded, I'm not entirely clear on whether the topping is a need or a want. And from the way it's worded, I'm actually kind of leaning on, I'm thinking that the questioner is suggesting that topping is a want, but not a need. And based on that, I would think I would answer slightly differently. Because, again, this gets back to the idea of equity versus equality. It sounds like you're actually more concerned about a potential problem than you are about an actual problem. The potential problem is that you could feel bad about this. You could. I hear, I'm hearing a lot of it could. I could. It can be dangerous. It could happen. I'm not hearing it. It is dangerous. It is making me feel bad. It is a problem. I'm hearing it could be. And based on that, I'm kind of concerned that you're actually obsessing over equality right now a little bit. And you're concerned that if we're not topping equally, that there's, that must mean that there's a problem. And, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. It's kind of the, the analogy I'm kind of seeing here. And I'm not really convinced that there's any smoke. I think that this could actually be totally fine. You say that, you know, um, you're, you, love, you love your partner for more than just sex. Everything else is great. You're enjoying sex. You're not really having a problem with the fact that you're bottoming. You would just like to top more. So I would say don't make this into a bigger problem than it actually is. Um, if everything is okay and you're happy and you're having sex and it just happens to be that his dick's going inside of you and not the other way around, that's not the end of the world. Um, I definitely relate to the idea that you want to top more. and it's. But again, it, it sounds to me more like a want and maybe it's a need, but it's not a need that needs to be every day. It's a need that needs to be, you know, every once in a blue moon, potentially. 
And if that's the case, definitely still have the conversation that Metrico is suggesting, but you might couch it a little differently. I would, I would start out by saying, you know, I love our relationship. I love how everything's going. I love you. I love how much sex we're having. I love everything about this. Uh, I feel like I'm not topping as much as I would like to, and maybe we could work together on making that happen a bit more often. Uh, and you know, what, what could I do or what could, what could we do together that would make it more likely that I'd get a chance to top more often when we have sex and make it more of a, a conversation where you're, you're kind of inviting your partner to help you out rather than being demanding or saying, I need this, this needs to happen. You're not doing your job and making it kind of a negative conversation. I would try to keep it a positive and constructive conversation and not, not, not go negative on it. Not, not, not talk so much about your need, about needs and, you know, failures on your partner's part, but talk instead about, you know what, everything's great. I would like to talk more and how could we make that happen? I mean, the way that the reason that I talk about it being more potentially a need is the comment about, I feel like I'm shutting down a part of myself. And that to me does seem like there is, you know, some kind of conflict. You know, it is possible that this is a need. It's possible that it's a want. The only person that really knows that is you, the questioner. <laughs> so, you, so before you even have this conversation, take some time to reflect on that. Is this something that you need? Is this something that you can identify as a sexual requirement? That if you are in a topping mood, that you need to top. And I mean, we've spoken about this in the past. You're not sex is crazy. Sex doesn't always go as planned and you can't hold the fact that your partner gets hurt perhaps, or isn't prepared against him. I mean, unless you keep like a social calendar and a fucking calendar, then maybe your partner was like, Oh, I didn't know you would be doing this right now. Like, uh, sorry, but I had Taco Bell. So, <laughs> you know, you can't necessarily hold that against them. You also might want to look into alternatives. Maybe if your partner isn't feeling like he can top, maybe you guys have a sex toy that you can use. Maybe you get like a flashlight and he's able to kind of like, you can simulate sex. You can, you know, intercurl sex again, go, go Greek and just, you know, fuck your partner's thoughts, get all nice and sloppy there. Right. Yep. That's where I was going. There are different <laughs> ways that you can, yeah. you know, kind of get into the groove, so to speak. So you can look at alternatives. You can get that dominant streak out without having to stick your dick inside of him. Maybe you can skull fuck him. You don't know. There are so many possibilities, but first you need to identify what exactly it is that you're wanting and needing. And if this is a need, then you need to explore that and explore the alternatives in order to make sure that your needs are getting met. You know, I am inclined to agree with Vero, and I do think that this is more of a want. And you can't really regard it as, you know, a quality. You shouldn't have a chart on the wall of your bedroom and every time that you top and bottom you get gold stars and you both need to have the same amount of gold stars in each column <laughs> that's not really how it works so identify if this is a want or a need and make sure that everybody is feeling happy it sounds like you're not maybe happy right now so take some time to reflect on this reflect on what it is that you think you're losing out on and from there, have that discussion, but be willing to explore the alternatives to just anally penetrative sex that you're topping in. Yeah. And kind of to that point, I, I think that's the way I would sum this up is you need to figure out from yourself, from self-reflection, am I actually unhappy right now? Or am I just afraid of being unhappy? Because I feel like, you know, based on society or based on 
the way topping is kind of the more valuable role in the relationship, societally speaking. I feel like I'm being devalued by not getting a chance to top as often, or I'm feeling like maybe my dignity is being affected. Or think about why it is that you're why is it you want to top? Is it just because you want the sensation and the feeling of being more dominant or being the penetrative partner? Or are there some cultural things that are entering into this that need to work through? If there's cultural baggage making you feel like topping is more important to you than it actually is, then maybe the solution here is less making your partner top more often. Oh, that might still be a component. Or sorry, bottom more often. Right. Maybe the solution is actually working through your shit and figuring out why it is that you think topping is so much more valuable than bottoming, right? Maybe that's actually the issue, right? Right, yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of different things that you need to analyze here. <laughs> analyze. Um, <laughs> you know, it's take some time to think, to reflect on your motivations. And then from there, you know, approach them as motivations, approach them as an, you know, equitable, equitable discussion and make sure that everybody, you know, you and your partner come off being the most happy and satisfied that you can be in terms of the compromise that you make. So we're going to close out the show again. This is our last topic show of the year. Um, next next week will be episode 51, but really 52 if we count our bonus episodes. So um, we've done an episode every week of the year. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with the holiday season coming up, um, it's we wanted to do something a little bit lighter, something, you know, you might be traveling and you don't necessarily want to hear a panda on a soapbox. And so we also have a backlog of questions. So we're going to do an all question show. Volume two, Electric Boogaloo. And, you know, it's if you have questions, you know, feel free to ask us. Um, visit our contact page at feralattraction.com slash contact. Many different ways to get into touch with us. You can there's an email form right on the page. There's, you know, you can send us an email. You can send us a telegram. Um, again, it's better to do an email because unfortunately, Vero and I tend to be working on our actual work or working on the show. So we don't really have a lot of time to do one-on-one -on -one advice. So email is definitely the best way. Uh, Twitter messages are also good. And uh, we'll go ahead and um, add it into our queue. It might be next week. We try to be good about letting people know when we answer. It's also a good way to give us feedback, whether that's positive feedback, feedback on advice that we gave feedback on questions. You might have your own opinions and ideas for questions that you hear on the show feel free to you know give them and we'll read them out you might have negative opinions you might call us knuckle dragging twats which is actual feedback and to you i thank you sir because i'm not really that flexible and it sounds like a good yoga pose so we also got a great email telling us uh, congratulations on your success i never thought you'd make it this far which is a very backhanded mm -hmm. compliment but thank you whoever that was we we are happy we made it this far yeah it's uh <laughs> you know again we'll, we'll probably talk about it more next week because it's going to be a casual show but we'll talk about you know kind of like the founding of the show and like our expectations and where we've come and all of that good stuff. So next week's going to be more fun. It's going to be a little bit more relaxed. We're going to answer some questions and have, you know, a little bit of casual chat. If you like our show, um, feel free to give us a rating and a review on iTunes or Google play, or if you want to contribute financially to make sure that we're able to, 
you know, continue producing the show again. Financial contributions aren't really that needed. We'll keep doing the show as long as we can. Um, whether I have to throw my wallet at all of the services that we use, that's completely fine by me. But we do have a Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash attraction. And we do have different tiers. Any contribution is greatly appreciated. It, again, goes to help pay our web fees, our hosting fees, our advertising fees, and to try to get us to more conventions to do our live panels. Um, we do have some patrons that contribute, and one of the tiers has shoutouts, uh, Snares. Uh, he is one of them. He has a Patreon of his own at patreon.com snares for Meteor Showers, which is a webcomic that is crowdfunded and really cute, or sexy, I should say. I, I wouldn't describe his <laughs> style as cute. But he also does commissions on his uh, for, uh, for Affinity website, um, and his username is Furious, F-U-R-I-O-U-S. So you should definitely give him a visit and give him your business. Support your artists. Support, support, support. But not just artists. Support your writers, too. You know, Vera and I, we are both, you know, for professionally published authors. And, you know, it's... Uh, important that we support every facet of the fandom. Zarpolis is doing a sci-fi series um, called Para Imperium, and you should visit him and consider contributing to his Patreon at patreon.com slash Zarpolis, Z-A-R-P-A-U-L-U-S, or for anybody not in America, Z-A-R-P-A-U-L-U-S. <laughs> and it's really great. If you enjoy science fiction, speculative fiction, world building starcraft you will probably enjoy his writing so give it a look consider contributing all of these links are in our show notes so give that a gander when you have the time and metrico is our uh, giveaway for the power circuits still going or how, how did that wrap up so our giveaway for power circuits will end this friday uh so and by friday i mean it ends thursday at 11.59 uh, p.m. <laughs> Pacific Standard Time U.S. So you will have approximately a day and four hours to get into that giveaway. There will be a link to that in our show notes as well. It is for one of two copies of Power Circuits by Raven Caldera. And unfortunately, and then again, I do apologize for this. I was unaware that this is for the United States only. So if you have a United States Amazon account, and apparently it's for 18 or older, but I don't think they check, um, feel free to sign up. It's free. There's no video to watch. There's no survey to complete. It's just, you know, it's a great book. And if you're interested in power dynamic relationships or... Really, relationships in general, it's a great read. This is for the Kindle ebook version. Yeah, it's specifically just to refresh everybody's memory a bit more. This is about a book that is specifically covers power dynamics in the context of polyamory. Where mm-hmm. Both of those communities tend to have very strong senses of tradition, and the overlap there can be a bit hairy. So it kind of helps you try to navigate that. And it's a really great read. I would highly recommend it for you. If you even if you're mm-hmm. just one or the other, it's great for people who do, do polyamory or just do DS as well. So check it out. But whether you're in the drawing or you buy it for yourself, it's a great book. And just so you know, the way that the giveaway works, um, it is completely random. Um, it will select two of the um, raffle submissions at random and we'll send you an email. So look out for an email within one day of the raffle ending. Click on the link, get your book. If you do not claim your book, it does expire in 48 hours. And that goes back to us. So if you happened to win your book and you failed to claim it, 
get into touch with me in particular. My email is on the website and just forward the, well, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out because <laughs> it goes back to my <laughs> Amazon account. So we'll figure it out. But um, anyhow, that's going to be our show for this week. Fairness versus equality. Next week, it's all questions and casual chat volume two. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. And I'm Rhythm. Be well.